Good morning, church. I feel a little more comfortable down here than up there, so I'll, I'll stand here. I feel more comfortable over there than in here, even too, but that's all right. If I say July 20th, 1969, does that ring a bell to anybody? Does that date seem, have any significance? July 20th, 1969. Landed on the moon, okay. So it was just this last July uh, was the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. And so there's been lots of uh, things on, on TV and in different places about uh, the Apollo missions and the moon landing and all these other, uh, all the things that went, went along with that. And so I was watching one uh, a little bit ago and I, I came across a story uh, that I hadn't heard before. And I thought it was, it was noteworthy, and, I, and it, it kind of fit a little bit with what I uh, want to talk about this morning. And, and so I, I looked it up to kind of get the facts right of it. And so here, here's the Apollo 11 astronauts. Uh, this story is about Buzz Aldrin. He's the one on your right, far right. Um, so in 1969... Uh, Edwin Eugene Buzz Aldrin Jr. He was an elder at Webster Presbyterian Church, a congregation just outside of Houston, Texas. He told the lead pastor of his church, Dean Woodruff, that he had been struggling to find the ranked symbol for the first lunar landing. We wanted to express our feeling that what man was doing in his mission transcended electronics and computers and rockets. Aldrin got the idea for the, for the communion ceremony while at Cape Kennedy working on the sophisticated tools of the space effort. I wondered if it might be possible to take communion on the moon, symbolizing the thought that God was revealing himself there too, as man reached out into the universe. For there are many of us in the NASA program who do trust that what we are doing is part of God's eternal plan for, for man. The communion bread was carried in a plastic packet, the, regular, the way regular in-flight food was wrapped. Because there was just enough gravity on the moon for liquid to pour, Aldrin wanted to pour the wine into a chalice from his church. Woodruff had presented him a silver cup that was small and light enough that it could be carried in the astronaut's personal preference kit. So before taking communion, Aldrin read John 15:5, which he had written on a scrap piece of paper. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for you can do nothing without me. He said, I poured the wine into the chalice our church had given me. In the one-sixth gravity of the moon, the wine curled slowly and gracefully up the side of the cup. It was interesting to think that the very first liquid ever poured on the moon and the first food eaten there were communion elements. After taking the elements, Aldrin said he sensed especially strongly my unity with our church back home and with the church everywhere. So I don't know how many of you knew that story, um, but uh, that was one that I just recently, recently learned, and I thought that was quite interesting that, that Buzz Aldrin took communion on the moon when they landed on the moon. Uh, and he, he, did, he did talk to NASA and say that um, his, little, his little speech there, but NASA chose not to uh, add that as part of the, the broadcast. Uh, but I, I thought it was, it was noteworthy that uh, at this 
amazing event in human history uh, that he wanted God to be there and, and to be a part of, and Jesus to be a part of this amazing time in human history. And, and I thought that was quite noteworthy. So this morning, uh, I want to look at a, a, a few different people that were also quite noteworthy and that have had quite of an impact on the lives in their time and the, the lives of Christians ever since. So this morning I want to look at, the, at three different conversions that we find in the Bible. Uh, and and their stories of, of, of what circled around that. So I want to look at Peter, Cornelius, and the Philippian jailer, the three individuals that I'm, we're going to look at this morning. And we're, we're going to ask three questions as we look at them. Who were they before their conversion? And then what happened that made them convert? And then what were they like after their conversion? Uh, so the first we're going to look at is Peter. And Peter, we have a lot of stuff in the New Testament about. A lot more stuff about Peter than the other two guys. Uh, but we can... Uh, so so we, we can see a lot about the life of Peter and what he, what he was like. And so... Who was Peter before he was converted? And for that, we can start to look in Luke chapter 5. Uh, each of the verses won't be up on the screen, but you, you're, you're welcome to, to look in your Bibles for it. Uh, so Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gisenerat, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down your nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both, both, both of the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down to Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized, uh, had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So here we have that Peter was first a, a fisherman. That was his occupation. And he, was in, he had partners with James and John as well. And so they worked together as, as fishermen. As you can see on this, uh, this picture here, kind of shows uh, what a first century fishing boat uh, probably would have looked like. Uh, just a, a standard fishing boat. Uh, you may not be able to see quite at the, at the bottom there in the back, but it kind of shows the, the size of it, maybe about, about the size of a delivery truck or so. Uh, so not, not real big, uh, but, uh, but these would have kind of looked similar to that. So, and they would have been using, using nets uh, and, and things like that. So Peter, this was his job. This was his occupation. He was a fisherman. But one of the other noteworthy things that he, he said here uh, was verse 8, that he said that he is a sinful man. So he, he recognized, 
his, his sin as well. And Peter uh, was a Jew as well as James and John. And so he had grown up with the law of Moses and living life as a Jew. Uh, and, it understand, and understood the sinful nature of, of what he had and what, what was within him. So what made him, what happened that made him convert? And so here we can look in John chapter 1, and we get a bit of the, of, of the account of that. So John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. Again, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means, was translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So here we have his bro Peter's brother Andrew, who was at the time following John, and they had came across Jesus. They had met Jesus. And so Andrew goes and tells his brother Peter that they found the Messiah. And so the conviction of, of Andrew is, as, as the brother of, of, of Peter, bringing Peter to Jesus was a significant moment here for Peter. That Andrew saw the, the importance of Jesus he saw the, uh, who he was more than John, and he knew that he was the Messiah. And he in, now introduced Peter to Jesus. And now Peter could understand that we have found the Messiah. And, and at this moment realized that, uh, that this is who, who Peter needs to follow. And so Jesus gave him a new, a new name, and from that point on, then Peter had, had followed him. So then what was Peter like after his conversion? Well, we have lots of, of history of Peter throughout the New Testament um, and, and some books that he wrote. And so we, we sort of, you know, I think different people will have different kind of first reactions when they think of Peter um, and what type of person he was. Uh, for some, he's very well known for his flaws. Uh, and... That may be a little unfair to Peter, but I think it's, it's of great lessons uh, to us as well, to, to know of some of the struggles and failings that he went through. Um, so he, he's known for some of the things that he struggled with. Uh, one of the most uh, famous accounts was when the denial of Jesus. Uh, and and we're, we're quite familiar with that. Is, and even right before that happened, uh, Peter had made it clear to Jesus that I would never do such a thing. That, that's not going to happen. Uh, and so we're, we're familiar with that then as, as Peter denies uh, knowing Jesus three times. Uh, he's also known for his lack of faith when walking on, on water. Uh, we, you know, we have the, the account of, of Jesus calming the storm and walking on water and invites Peter out. And Peter starts walking and then kind of realizes what he's doing and, and, and takes his 
eyes off of Jesus and can't believe what he's doing and starts to sink. And so, you know, these are just a couple of, of main things that we, that we see of, of Peter. But we also find, even within his flaws, we find that he was also a very passionate person. Uh, and, and that comes out no more than uh, when Jesus was, was being arrested and he wanting to defend Jesus. And with, with, the, with all the soldiers that were there, and I, I remember Russ a few weeks ago in the, the table here talked about that it would have been hundreds of men that were, that were around at that, at that time to arrest Jesus. And so when all those are around and, and Peter you know, is thinking in his mind that this can't happen, that I can't let this happen, and he, he cuts off the ear of, of Malchus, and, uh, and we see his, his passion for Jesus. Even if it was misguided, uh, we, we get to see the reaction that Peter had around Jesus, the, the love that he had for him, and, and the passion that came out from him. Uh, in John chapter 21, Here, Peter expresses his, his love for Jesus. So John 21, verse 15. It says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my, feet, my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he, he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. So here we have Peter showing his love for Jesus that he will, he will now stick with Jesus no matter how many times he's asked. And we see that this bleeds into a leadership role then for Peter. That Jesus tells him to, to feed my sheep. Jesus is giving him a direction for the rest of his life to go out, to go and preach the gospel and tell people about him. And he wants to make it clear to Peter that this is now going to be his life. That now he's... He's gone from being a Jew and living under the law of Moses to now seeing who Jesus was, understanding that he is the Messiah, and now going on to live his life feeding his sheep and, and preaching the gospel. And so we can see this transition quickly through Peter's life. The next one I want to look at is Cornelius. And in the story of Cornelius, we pick up in Acts chapter 10. Uh, we'll be reading a, a few different parts of it, but for now I just want to start with the first couple of, uh, of verses here in Acts chapter 10. It says, Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. So here's a, a description of Cornelius. And so what, what, what do we know about him? Who was he before his conversion? 
For one, he was a centurion, as it says there in verse 1. So a centurion in the Roman army, that would have meant that he had command over 100 men. And so if someone in his position uh, was able to, to get that position, they would have, have to have certain qualities about them to be able to do that. And so he, he was responsible for the training, the discipline, and the assignments of his men. So he was uh, a leader within the Roman army. He knew how to command these men and what to, what to do with them and where, the, where, to, where to put them and how to discipline them and train them and, and everything. He, he had full control over these men. He knew what he was doing. It also says that he was God-fearing. And so we, we understand that he knew God. Cornelius being a Roman uh, would, was not a Jew and did not grow up as a Jew and live under the law of Moses. But he knew God. He understood who God was. Uh, it says that he, he gave money to the Jews, then understanding who the Jews were and their relationship with God. Uh, and that he prayed continually. So we get this insight into Cornelius, who, uh, who was this Roman citizen, who was this Roman soldier, but someone who very much understood who God was and talked to God, prayed to God, uh, gave to God, and, and feared God. And so he, he had that relationship already with God. And he, he just needed that next step brought to him. And so what happened that made him convert? And we, we pick that up in, that, in Acts uh, 10. We'll continue in verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had, who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he'd explained everything to them, he sent them on to Joppa. And then we'll pick it up in verse 24. And on the next day, or on the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had, caught, and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked, for what reason you have sent for me? Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore send to Joppa, and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God, 
to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism of John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God appointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses of the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who had been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they... For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. They asked him to stay on for a few days. So here we have Peter telling the gospel. Uh, We have Cornelius first being told that his prayers have now been answered. And he were to send men to go get Peter. And so he sent his man to Joppa uh, to send for Peter. And Cornelius comes before Peter. And with the respect that we know that Cornelius had of the Jews and the relationship they had with God, Cornelius wanted to worship Peter right there. Uh, And so Peter made it clear that he is not to be worshipped, he is just a man, and that the gospel is for everyone not just for the Jews, that everyone now can have a relationship with God. And so Peter told him the gospel and, and, and told him all, all the things that, you know, that Jesus had done and he had, he, he had died and been resurrected. And the Holy Spirit came on them and they were baptized. And so Cornelius now had this, this moment where he he was able to to understand God, but now be a part of God, be a child of God, be much more with God than he was before. And so what was he like after? Uh, We we don't really have the next part of the story of what what really he did as he went on, Uh, but he's known as one of the first Gentile converts uh, in in history there, and so he kind of has that mark. Uh, But his example shows that anyone who wants to come to Jesus can do so. He was a man that prayed to God and asked God for uh, for guidance in his life, and and God told him where to go and and how to be presented with the gospel. Um, Now, we can can speculate a little bit as as a centurion. We have uh, no indication that he would have quit being a centurion. Um, and, And if he would have continued to do that, he would have great influence over the over the men that he was uh, in charge of. 
uh, and the people around him, and that he would be able to show his faith and his devotion to God and be a light to the people that he was around. And we can just imagine how, how many people he would have brought to Christ through his leadership uh, and, and his, his passion and his faith for God. Uh, the influence that a man like that could have had, uh, how that would have spread throughout the first century, I think would have been uh, quite remarkable. Uh, so he, he's a man that we, that we look at as, as kind of that first Gentile convert, uh, but a man that had great influence over people and a great passion for God. Uh, and, and a very interesting man that had this, uh, this approach to, uh, to the gospel. The next is we look at the Philippian jailer. And we're not given a name for this guy, so he's always just known as the Philippian jailer. Uh, which is kind of unfortunate, but that, that's the way that, that we're presented with him. So the, the story of him comes in Acts chapter 16, uh, and, and we, we get some insight into him as well. And we'll start in verse 22 of Acts chapter 16. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief, ma- this is Paul and Silas, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them, and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, together with all who were in his house. And he took them at that very hour, and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, and he and all his household. And he brought them into his house, and set food before them, and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. So who was this guy before he became a Christian? Uh, he was someone living in Philippi and just kind of known as the jailer. Uh, when, when I looked up what a first century jailer would have been, uh, history records it as most likely he would have been a retired Roman soldier. So somebody that was, uh, knew how to handle himself, knew how to uh, command people, uh, but were, well, was no longer a soldier. And so usually that, a type of job like that would have been given to somebody who was who was a former soldier. Uh, he understood that his life depended on the securing of his prisoners. Uh, this wasn't just a, uh, a job that he went to and then left and another guy took over and with all the responsibilities. He, this, was, uh, this was his responsibility. Anything happened in there was, was up to him. And anything bad happened, he, w- he would have had to answer for it. And so he knew his responsibilities. Uh, and, and that he understood after this earthquake, 
that the Romans weren't going to have sympathy on him, that there was an earthquake and they escaped. He wouldn't be able to go to the Roman officials and say, well, it was an earthquake, what, I, what can I, I didn't do anything. I can't control an earthquake. That they wouldn't have taken pity on him. Uh, and so he understood that. And, and so he was about to take his own life uh, rather than let the Roman officials take it for him. And so he, he was in a, in a very desperate moment. And so what, what happened that made him convert? We have this earthquake in verse 26 there that happens. And the foundations of, of the prison are, are shaken and the, the chains are torn off. And he's about to kill himself. Uh, and, and Paul is there and tells him to stop. Don't, don't do that. And Paul saves his life. And so he, he asked Paul, and he, he, he's been seeing Paul and Silas the last little while. I'm not sure how long they were, they were there. Uh, singing and, and praising God while they were in prison there. And so he, he had seen who they were and what they were like. And at this moment when Paul said, no, we're all here. Everybody, not just Paul and Silas stayed, but all the prisoners that were there. Nobody had left. Uh, and that would have been quite an amazement to this jailer. Uh, these, these prisoners, if they could get out, they normally would have. And this really would have caught the, the attention of this guy as something really amazing is going on here. And so he asked Paul... What must he do to be saved? He, he saw something in Paul and Silas that was remarkable. Uh, and so Paul, like Peter before, spoke the gospel to him and the people around him. They told them about Jesus. They told them the gospel. And, and it says there that they, that they believed. And in verse 33 there, he and all his household were baptized. Uh, we, so we see this remarkable moment uh, of, of somebody that was experiencing Christianity uh, and the passion that Paul and Silas had for their faith. And even though they were prisoners, they were still praising God and still singing songs. And that this was something different. This was something remarkable. And when they had a chance to escape and get out, they didn't. And the influence that they had on the other prisoners, that the other prisoners didn't say, I'm going to go out too. They, they all stayed. Uh, and this example would have been an incredible moment to him. And he wanted to know why they would have done such a thing. Why did they live their life this way? And so he was presented the gospel to them. Uh, what was he like after? Uh, all we can really tell again is that he, he brought them into his house and he rejoiced with them in verse 34 there. Uh, that he was aware that something special was happening. This was a significant moment in his life and that he wasn't just going to let it pass by. Uh, that, that after this, he had opened his house to them and, and rejoiced with them. Uh, that this was, this was a, a, a remarkable uh, event that, that was taking place, and that he wanted to be a part of it. Uh, so... What we see in these three stories, these three accounts of these three men, uh, we see very different approaches uh, to the gospel from their life. They, that everyone comes from different experiences. We saw that Peter, as a Jew, 
would have knew the law of Moses, understood uh, God, and understood the law, uh, and understood that they're you know waiting for the Messiah, and when presented to Jesus, he understood who he was. Uh, the centurion knew who God was, had a relationship with God, but needed still salvation. He still needed the gospel uh, and, and, and craved for that when he, when he was given the opportunity uh, to hear. And the jailer, the example of seeing the attitude of the Christians around him, of seeing how Paul and Silas lived their life, and, and, and that there was something about them that was remarkable, that he really wanted to see. Uh, that they, they all came from a different experience. But the common thing within those three stories is that they all needed someone to tell them the gospel. They didn't just magically come across it. Peter needed Andrew to come and get them and say, Andrew, come here. This is Jesus. You need to know him. Uh, the centurion needed Peter to tell him the gospel. The jailer needed Paul and Silas to tell him the gospel. Uh, they, everybody needs to be able to hear the gospel from someone. Uh, you know, we, we live in a time where we can, where anybody can just pick up the Bible and read it, and that's great. And some people might do that and read it and understand it and, and become a Christian through that, of just picking up the Bible and reading. Uh, but most times it's not going to be just that. People need relationships. People need someone to go to them and tell them what the gospel is about, why it's meaningful, why it's important. Uh, that, they, that, that as Christians, we are now charged with taking that next step of, of bringing now the gospel to people that need it. These, these men seemed open to the gospel, uh, which, would have, which is nice to have people that are at least willing to be open to the gospel. Uh, but not everybody's going to be, be like that. But our charge doesn't change. Uh, we, we are still called by Jesus to go into the world and, and spread the gospel. I want to close here in um, I can do it here. with a couple of one, one quote from Jesus uh, with, with our charge there in Matthew 28 uh, and then a, a quote from just from, from uh, someone I, I saw this morning and I was as I was uh, uh, looking around on, on Twitter this morning, I, I came across a quote from someone that I thought would, would fit as well. So, first of all, we're, we're called from Jesus here in Matthew 28, uh, verses 19 and 20. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus giving not just the men that were with him that command and that charge, but all of us that charge to go uh, and, and spread the gospel everywhere. Uh, and it's powerful when it, 
when it comes from Jesus and Jesus telling uh, us and these men to do that and to have this, uh, this command, this charge from, from Jesus is, is powerful. Um, this morning I, I saw from, uh, the quote is from Steph Curry, who's a basketball player, and he said, uh, and I'll leave you with this, he says, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Thank you for your time.